Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. At the C-Suite Network, we are committed to continuing having the difficult conversations pertaining to race and the community's relationship with law enforcement. We are using this platform to keeping the topic at the forefront and practicing what we're preaching, tolerance, inclusion, and belonging. My first guest today is an award-winning author, expert witness, and motivational speaker who rose quickly through the ranks of the NYPD. Corey Pegues is also the author of Once a Cop and has a new documentary coming out called Cops and Robbers. Corey, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, good to have you. Good to have you there. I'm in my home office of South Dakota, but, you know, I have a place in New York City, so I always like New York's finest. I always appreciate all the work that they do and and uh, constantly see them out in the streets. And you're a former NYPCD officer. New York has the biggest and the oldest police department in the U.S. Do you think the current system needs to be given some kind of upgrade? Oh, yeah. Uh, currently, the system, you know, it has been culturally the same forever since its inception. When you look at the beginning of policing, it started, you know, way back when with slave patrols. And it really hasn't changed much. Like traditions has been going down. They're not capturing slaves. But the mentality of treating black and brown people, have it has been flawed. And, you know, yeah. we have so many different uh, stories to talk about if we want. Your, your show just isn't long enough. And then I think it needs to be systematic change, not just in policing, but all facets, business, health, education, uh, around the country. You know, police have the spotlight because, you know, they're dealing with life and death. So people are being killed, unarmed black men and women are being killed. And so, you know, there's a tremendous spotlight on policing right now. And it has been for some time. And so a few weeks ago, I spoke to retired LAD, LAPD uh, Sergeant uh, Cheryl Dorsey, and she talked about what she called Billy Badass, you know, and the, and the amount of teasing or maybe hazing that some of the officers face with their own precinct, to, you know, to, to toe the, I guess the word I would use is to toe the line when they're perceived as soft. How do you change that part of the culture or, or can you? You, you can change the part of the culture and you can change it. And I'm not talking about hiring new legislation or training. What they need to do is termination. When you start terminating police officers for doing things bad, you know, I've been pushing this bill uh, that I created called the uh, Law Enforcement Bystander Bill, which would be to discipline, terminate any cop that's standing at a scene and observe an officer doing something wrong, albeit from discourteous remarks to shooting an unarmed person. If they were standing there, they're culpable, but it has to be termination. No slaps on the wrist. No two-week, two-week, two-day notice. Termination. That's how you send a message in policing. You know, the, there was a the chokehold incident uh, in New York, and that was what um, about a year and a half ago, I think it was somewhere in that neighborhood. Maybe yeah, a little six longer. years ago. Six years. Is it ago. was it really six years ago? Yeah, Eric Garner. It took five years for them to discipline Pantaleo. Do you, 
it's amazing yeah. how the, the time, but it just seems to me like it was just yesterday. And of course we had this in Minneapolis. Why do you think we have the reaction in Minneapolis that we didn't have back in New York back then? Well, the difference between Minneapolis and Staten Island where Eric Garner was murdered was we actually saw America with their eyes, someone get the breath taken out of them. The Pantaleo case was a little different because you know, it happened in less than, you know, probably a minute, a minute and a half. He was choking him, trying to get yeah. him. You know, fortunately, he killed him. But this one, when you see this police officer, regardless of his race, just nonchalantly standing on someone's neck, they're screaming, Mama, I can't breathe. The crowd is screaming and yelling. He can't breathe. He stopped moving. And for him to have the gall and audacity not to even flinch, one time, the only time he moved was when they was picking him up to put him on the gurney. So Americans seen that and all races are like, wow, this is bad. Yeah, it was, I mean, just to see the guy with his freaking hand in his pocket, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, that was just like, and then when you hear him say what he said, he said, mama, I was like, Shh, shit, I broke down. I mean, nobody, you as a human being, I'm, I may have a tough time with it right now. You have to break down. This is, I'm a tough guy. But it's still, it's a Jesus. I mean, <laughs> and his mother, and his mother was is not was not even living for him. Right, scream, mama. And again, you know, in defense of all the cops that's out there doing the right thing, this isn't about good cops. This yeah. is all about bad cops. Like the new hashtag I've been putting up on Twitter now: "Bad cops." The gig is up right now. Yeah. The gig is up. America has to actually have their foot on bad cops' necks right now, saying, "Hey, wake up." Time for change. We're not going to stand by and, you know, actually watch you do this stuff no more. Yeah, as a, as a good cop, I mean, does it? I mean, you got these bad cops, the good cops. The bad, good cops are getting painted with this right now, too, right? I mean, oh, yeah. That's the that's the bad thing about this, and that's why a lot of people want to say blue lives matter. When when you know, just because you say blue lives matter, you, you shouldn't, or you say black lives matter doesn't mean blue lives don't. I mean, it doesn't mean that, folks. So don't say you know. I get what they're doing. I get why they want to do that, but they want to protect the good cops too, right? Oh yeah, blue lives definitely matter. The the problem with bringing up blue lives and the black lives matter moment is that like. Black and brown people get pissed off. It's like, don't lump us together. Right. You know, right. Don't lump us together. We do know. Black and brown people definitely know that blue lives matter. The problem, whenever yeah. someone unarmed is killed by a cop, then they say blue lives matter. It's like, no, this is a separate entity. We, we already know that blue lives matter, but that's not yeah. what it is. You're taken away from the issue at hand. And so yeah. black and brown people, they're not stupid. They they understand and know that blue lives matter. Look, I'm a cop. Well, I actually got a blue suit right now for you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> blue lives definitely matter. But yeah. um, when we're talking about unarmed black and brown be people being killed, it's not about gay and lesbian rights. It's not about blue lives matter. It's not about any of that right now. The focus is on changing the criminal justice system as it pertains to policing and black and brown communities and not taking anything away from any other ethnic group. Um, you know, that's, um, well, it's just like saying, you know, when somebody brings up the subject and says, I've got, I don't know, I've got prostate cancer. You don't say, well, yeah, but I had breast cancer. You don't do exactly. that. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Hey, let's take a quick break, uh, Corey. I'll be right back. This is real interesting. I want to keep this going. We got to take a quick break. C-Suite Radio. 
Hey, we are back and we are live right here as a live cast on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're bringing you all business with Jeffrey Hazard right here on C-Suite Radio. And of course, I'm talking to retired New York Police Department, uh, award-winning author, expert witness, and motivational speaker. I got to hear that. Corey Pegues. And uh, we're talking about all things, we're talking about all things color, black, white, yeah, brown, all colors, which is, I think, well, we need to do more of that because a lot of times people are a little afraid of saying that when, when I look, dude, you're black, I'm white. We should know that we should honor that. That should be part of our discussion. And then, and that's, that's good to be able to have those open discussions about it. Let's talk about the blue wall in the George Floyd case. If we can, how do you address the bystanding uh, officers not doing anything to stop officers shoving? And in Buffalo, why did dozens of officers quit their jobs after being fired after the after they fired the officer who pushed that seventy five year old man down? What happens when the blue wall is broken? Can it you know can is it broken? I mean, it, it seems like to me somebody would have said when they pushed this that seventy five somebody would have picked the guy up, right? I mean, I I would have done that. I would have thought that again. I think I'm a fairly tough guy, you know. Or I think I would have man. I I'm really believe it's hard to say that, but. I think I would have jumped on that officer as a bystander saying, get off this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, you bring up a few things again, you know, with the Chauvin case, again, I'm pushing this law enforcement bystander belt. Any cop that's standing by and doesn't do anything should be terminated on the spot. If not, you know, prosecuted for a crime. The Buffalo incident was definitely a travesty. It's about humanistic behavior. A lot of these people, you know, a lot of people in America blaming cops. This is humanistic behavior. How could you walk by an 80-year-old man who was pushed down on the ground and his head is bleeding? That's not police training. It's not enough police training can give you, you know, emotions that care about people. Like, there's some cops that slip through the system. And obviously, this guy, and think about when he pushed him down, Jeff. America was burning down. They're burning prisons. They're burning police cars. It's no justice, no peace. It's protests everywhere. And that shows you what the culture, this blue wall that you're talking about, they're so arrogant, some of them are so arrogant that they had the nerve to push an 80-year-old man down, crack him in the head, and walk by. And then for the police officers to leave, actually, I think the civilian sector was pretty happy. Bye. McDonald's is always hiring. Because we want good you don't want to be there. You want to take up for some idiot that knocked the 80 year old man down and you think that they're supposed to keep their job Bye. get out of here. Go to Home Depot. You know, Lowe's and Home Depot is hiring right? big time. You know, it's good to hear you say that, though, Corey, because not a lot of cops say that. A lot of cops just get quiet about it. Don't want to say is because they're is it because they're they really are retaliated against. I mean, I, I got to imagine it's got to be scary you know, to, to break out, break outside that mold a little bit, because you don't know if the guy next to you is ever going to be there for you. Got your back. Well, one thing about police um, that I know in my 21 years now, about 28 years of, you know, no police, police officers are going to back each other, you know, because you never know when you need that officer to come and back you. They might drive a little bit slower, but um, (laughs) they will come to back an officer, even someone they don't like. And a lot of cops are reluctant to come out because of backlash. And I write about that in my book. You know, I did 21 years without, you know, sometimes people didn't want to speak to me. Sometimes people didn't want to eat lunch with me, you know, because I was voiceful and I was always speaking out on issues like, hey, 
I mean, I worked in white communities as a cop. I worked in Spanish. I worked in black communities. But I treated everyone fair. And whatever scene I was on, if I saw any misdeed, I was speaking up immediately. One of the first um, arrests I ever had, I locked this kid up, young black kid, and I had to call a cop because uh, a car because I was on foot. And two white cops came to start beating him up. I thought the prisoner was a Houdini. I thought he got out of his cuffs. When I looked, he still had his cuffs on, and they was beating this guy. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I mean, yeah, this wow. is early 90s. You know, the sergeant came, you know, basically, you know, people could read it in the book. But I spoke out immediately. And this is what, again, I have two years on the job. So you get a reputation, which actually yeah. was good for me, that nobody wouldn't do nothing around me because they knew. You get labeled almost like a rat. That's what they call it. But um, yeah. it didn't matter to me. Yeah. Well, because you were doing the right thing. Right. I mean, if you've got it, good it, values right. and you're standing for the right things, you, you yeah, look, I, I have people call me things all the time, too. But I stand for what I believe in. And I, I don't have a, I can go to sleep at night knowing that. Right. Right? Yeah. So but you, you rose up the ranks, you know, all the way. I mean, you rose up pretty high in the organization. Did How many times did you fire someone because of the inappropriate behavior like that? Well, several cops, <laughs> several cops that worked for me was terminated for various mm-hmm. things. Um, you know, being a part of a criminal organization, planting things on, you know, in NYPD, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a Fortune 100 company. Yeah. Billion dollar company. Our budget is 1.6 billion dollars. So we have like this whole internal affairs division that would do investigations. You know, I would see a cop that was a little wayward. I would call the captain in internal affairs that had my zone and be like, hey, Jeff, take a look at this guy, Pegues, man. I, I don't know. I think this guy's. I'm getting complaints about him. Put a tail on him for the next two weeks and just see what he's doing. So mm-hmm. we would do things like that. Well, you know, NYPD is a little different than like some of these small municipalities. They couldn't do what I could do. So we right. had somebody, you know, tail him for two weeks, put a Y in a car, whatever we had to do to get the person. And sometimes, yeah. it, sometimes we found out they was clean. It was just a hunch that I had or my lieutenant or somebody would tell me. And it was bad. A cop was a good cop. But we had that, you know, we had that um, angle where we could do that. I got to ask you something just totally off off base, just just wild. Do you ever have any uh, of your cases or anything like that be on law and order? Anything like that? <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you what, I just got a call from somebody recently. Brooklyn South did a, uh, an episode and they swear up and down. The episode was about me. Is that right? Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I got to check I'm a big, I've watched every episode of that show about 100 times, so I, I love them all. Hey, uh, let's talk about community policing. You know, people talking about, you know, is that, is that taking a backseat? How do you reestablish some of the trust that's been eroded in these communities? Well, the first thing you have to be is transparent. And the yeah. second thing, when it's transparent, I mean, you have to tell people. Even when you look at the Minneapolis case, I don't even know if you know, Jeff, a lot of people don't know. The first report that came out after George Floyd from the police department was he was resisting arrest. Yo, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That and the- first, that's, so for the life of me, with this thing right here, I don't know how the police got that wrong because yeah. prior, when I became, prior to me becoming a cops, cops controlled the narrative, you know, shoot and kill yeah. somebody, go in the back room, say, this is the story. We get ready to go in front of Jeff and interview y'all ready. This is the story. They can't do that anymore. So yeah. for them to even attempt to try to do that would be crazy because you could do a canvas of the area. You don't see no hard cameras on buildings. 
but you never know that Jeff or Corey's walking around with this. Well, or or building cams now. I mean, there's can't even if there's no building cameras. I would be afraid to try to control a narrative, especially when somebody killed. And they tried to do that. And there's a black police chief in Minneapolis, by the way. So it's not always this color thing, this black and white thing. You know, you had a police chief that's black that had a guy that was out on patrol with 19 years, 18 complaints, three shootings. And actually, for the last three days, he was the the trainer. Would you put somebody in your business that's the accountant that's losing money and losing money and you get three new guys that's coming to accountant and you say, hey, I want you to train them? No, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. What do you think about those the, the other three cops that were with Chauvin? They were pretty new. I mean, they well, two of them, two of them, two of two them of had them. Like two weeks. Or I think one of them had like three days out there. The black, actually, young black guy, he had three days out there. But the thing is, and I'm going to the grave with it, and I'm telling everybody: once you hold your hand up, swear to protect and serve. There's no cushion. They don't say, okay, after ten years, then you can tell on somebody. No, the no you're, the, you're in the big quit. leagues. You're in the big leagues. You're in the big leagues as soon as you put that uniform on. And that's why it's a tough job. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, Jeff. And you have to really, really be dedicated to protect and serve the citizens in which you, you know, you out there patrolling. Do you think they deserve Look at that Asian cop. That Asian cop was 30 seconds away from being an American hero. If he would have just took his finger and tapped Chauvin off Floyd, then America would have said, that's the good cop that we keep hearing about. But now yeah. he's an accessory to murder. Because we keep saying the, the commissioners and the maids and the governor say it's a lot of good cops. But America is saying, we looked at Eric Garner, it was 12 cops, nobody intervened. We looked at this Floyd case, four cops, nobody intervened. We looked in Brooks in Atlanta with the taser, just two cops, nobody intervened. So we're the good cops. So we know, Jeff, I know there's good cops, but America is saying, especially black and brown America, through the lens we're seeing on video, things are happening, more than one cop is there, and nobody is intervening. So where are the good cops? Because I just gave you three incidents, and 100% of the cops didn't intervene. So you, yeah. you understand what I'm saying? Oh, totally. I totally. It's a, but I you but you wonder if it's the system. I mean, that's that's where I'm concerned about is you wonder if it's the system. Is it stacked against the good cops? It is. It is. And that's why they have to instead of always giving award, like if you get in a shooting or a legitimate shooting where somebody shooting at you, you kill, they give them these awards. Well, how about giving an award for somebody who walked an old lady across the street or somebody that made some contacts with a business owner that, like, you know, helped the community? Right. They have to start doing something different. We got to start doing something a little different in policing and uh, actually allowing the community. How about having the community help pick the commander of the precinct? Oh, you know? Totally. I, totally. I, I, mean, I think, I think I, we've got to get more involved with the with the with elected officials to say, hey, who are you going to put in as the head of the police department? Who Let is that? You, I'm a yeah. staunch Democrat, but I'm going to tell you something about Donald Trump, which I love. One, he is who he is. He doesn't change his stripes. That's number yeah. one. And two, he's running. And he said, if I win, these are the 25 judges that I'm going to pick from. I thought it was so ingenuous. Nobody ever did that. And he's been picking from that list. So, like, you just made a point. So all politics to me is local. Because, like, the feds don't really control it. 
politics, my school board, everything is right here. It's going to right. a now. So if somebody's running for mayor in your municipality, you should do like the Donald Trump say, hey, give me the five people who you're going to make your police commissioner. So now we know, because if you don't pick from that list, you're going to be a one-term Joe and you're out of there. You understand what I'm saying? Who's going to be your school chancellor? Give me the five names. Lock, you got to start locking these politicians in that's going to be in your community. Because if you don't, because if somebody picks, if you make the mayor, somebody don't have your best interest or your community, who do you think you're going to bring in? Somebody yeah. that don't have your best interest. And that's just what happens. So, we have, you know, that's one piece of it, Jeff. You got to do something different politically. What it, You know, I was watching a video this weekend where somebody posted on Facebook where they that one of the cops in Minneapolis, one of the young ones, I, wanted, I think it was the guy that's only been on there for three or four days, and they're following them in a, in a Home Depot or something, and they're following them around, giving them a hard time, going, you kill her, you kill her, you kill her. And, of course, the guy's just trying to buy, I don't know, some soap or something. I mean, he's really, truly just trying to live his life. And he didn't say anything. He said, sorry, to, sorry you feel that way. Um, you know, those kinds of things. And the, the person kept on him. Do you think it's okay to do that with, um, with, with a cop like that that's, that's been involved in that kind of tragedy to continue to harass him while he's up for trial? No, I, I don't. I don't think it's nice to do that because somebody you, you have some weird people out here. Somebody might take a shot at him. Oh yeah. Know, somebody might try to kill him. But on the flip side, he should have been real nice when Floyd was getting murdered. That's the flip mm-hmm. side of it. Now mm-hmm. he's so he's super nice. Yeah, he should have put Jarvin off Floyd, and he could have been an American hero and saved somebody's life. Even and I understand being a rookie. I understand what that looks like, what that smells like, being a part of these unions. And by the way, I really believe that unions should um, be handled. And what I do think that should happen to unions is they shouldn't be able to lobby because they're laying in bed with politics. Politicians are scared to vote against the unions. But if you take the lobbying leg away from uh, the unions, I promise you, you can make a lot of change. You know, I'm going to ask you one last question because I mean, you came from the streets, Corey. I mean, you you were you were dealing, you were doing some some bad stuff. What was your aha moment that made it turn it around for you? December twelfth, nineteen eighty seven, when I had my son Corey Junior, and I stood in the hospital at Brooklyn Hospital, and I said, "What kind of hero am I be for this kid? Am I be somebody that's in the streets, go to jail, come home, they throw a barbecue for you after five years, say, yo, you made it through?" I'm going to try to be an American hero, which I chose the latter. And, you know, now, you know, going to the police department, get my bachelor's, master's, being a professor in two different colleges, and just doing positive things to try to motivate kids, not only my kids, but these kids out here in America that's doing some wayward things and being misguided, just like I was. Well, I'm glad you turned it, brother. I'm glad you're part of it. Thank you for serving in the blue. And uh, next time I'm back in New York, which I can't wait to get back home in my home in New York, and uh, I'll buy you a whiskey. I'll stop out. We'll have okay. a whiskey together. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And before I get to Corey, I've got a great guest coming up right after this. Kelly, the super connector. You're going to want to hear how she's connected to Prince Michael Jackson and so many others. And we'll be talking to her in just a minute. But I'll tell you what I learned about Corey Pegues. What a, what a guy. Inspiration came up, was a crack dealer, and then worked his way up to one of the top positions in the NYPD. And 
I'll tell you what I learned today. We're only seconds away. Seconds away. Remember, he said this a couple of times, seconds away from that cop being a hero. You know, it's and there's no second chances when it comes to this. You either got to do it or you don't do it. You either got to believe once you put the badge on, that's the badge. You got to be grounded in your values of who you are. There's no second chance. So you're only seconds away from becoming a hero or seconds away from a tragedy. And that's that's what I learned today. And um, it just reinforces the need to teach so many people about values and acting in the moment of uh, doing the right thing every day, all the time. My next guest is Silicon Valley super connector, Kelly Richards. When I say she's connected, I am not kidding. She knows everyone worth knowing. And if you're on her radar, you're definitely in great company. Kelly is the president of All Access Group, a company that prides itself in bringing partnership opportunities by connecting thought leaders and disruptors from the tech world with innovators in the entertainment world. Kelly, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you so much, Jeff. Great to be here with you. It's good to have you. How's everything out your way? Oh, doing good. You know, notwithstanding the spike that's, re, you know, started up again here in California, we're, we're doing all right. Well, everybody just wear those masks and do what you can. And that's that's all you just that's do your it. job. That's People it. do your job. That's what we want you to do. That's all we ask you to do. So how did you become the super connector and who did you connect in order to do that? Well, that's a big question, Jeff. But for starters, I think the one that's most relevant is uh, when I first met Steve Jobs when I was in high school. I, I grew up here in Cupertino in the heart of Silicon Valley where Apple is headquartered. Steve was also also grew up here. And yeah. we met, um, uh, I, I approached him at a coffee shop that we both frequented, asked if he'd be my mentor when I was 16 as a member of the Future Business Leaders of America. And uh, that started my sort of moxie and gumption to be fearless about reaching out and asking people and, and creating those connections that would, that would last a lifetime. Um, and did he say know, yes? He never said stopped. yes. Same thing with he internet. Yes. He, he did say yes. And that changed my life. Did you get along with Steve? Cause Steve was kind of a. With him. He never yeah. yelled at me, never raised his voice, never, never acted like he did with others with me. Yeah, I always had, I, you know, I always had to call him when I was the CMO of Kodak. I'd call him when we were always suing each other all the time. So yep. our conversations weren't always that pleasant. But, <laughs> but, but we got along okay. I mean, we, we, you know, I was just, a, he was kind of a hard ass and I was just as hard ass just as back. So, that's but what, we that's understood what he needed each other. to do. That's exactly yeah. the right approach with him in that situation. Yeah, he, he respected that. So besides job, what's been your best connection to date? Well, you know, again, I, I rinse and repeat. I built a whole career in the music industry doing the same thing and yeah. then bridging and connecting the two worlds earlier than most people even thought to connect the, you know, the two industries. So, for example, um, Todd Rundgren and I uh, had a longtime partnership with his digital initiatives. He was an early pioneer in digital as well as being a top-notch music, musician and a producer. Did the same thing with Prince. Prince and I forged a relationship that lasted until almost until he passed. Mm -hmm. He would look to me as his um, consigliere in the digital world. That's that's amazing. Can I know that you bring these names up? You're part of our thought council, which is our yes. most trusted group of uh, thought leaders there are in the C-suite. And and people are always like, "What are you talking about, Prince? That the Prince? The Prince?" <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun, right? Well, and, and I do the same thing sometimes. I'll talk all oh, about so and so or about so and so, and people look at me like, "You're nuts." No, it's true. It's well, true. you know, I. I don't like to name drop 
Um, yeah. I don't do and it. I to know you don't. I do it I know to you, you're you know. Very private. You're very private about that. Yeah, and it's because I, I respect even though, even though some of them are passed on. I, yeah. I just hold their confidences and their trust, even so, very tightly. That's why you don't see a lot of pictures of me with people like that. You know, mm -hmm. I just it was I've done it to an extreme, probably to my own detriment. Well, to some extent, uh, although if you walk the talk and you know what you are, you don't need to do that. You know, That's I was true. That's true. I was watching a, a thought leader recently on some post on LinkedIn and they're like, I'm the business guru on this. I'm the, if you have to tell people you are, usually you're not. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, people uh, that know, know. And other than that, you know, I don't feel the need to walk around with sandwich boards. Yeah, which is important. And so as a super connector, I mean, do you find people then that by connecting with other people and you connecting them, then do other people call you all the time? Is that how it works? No, it does not work like that. Um, I prize my connections very, very highly. And if I can't bring them value, I won't connect with them. I won't reach out to them, even on behalf of my clients. So when I'm working with a client in my role as a trusted advisor and they ask me to make a connection, I won't do it unless I absolutely trust that it makes sense to the person I'm making the referral to. You and would you me? normally, yeah, absolutely. Well, because when you're making those connections and you're making those introductions, it's giving a little bit of you too. You it, my reputation rides every time I make a connection. So I have to feel really confident about the value to all parties. Yeah. Well, and and I, have people I don't do it lightly. Time. I don't do it lightly. I, I do it for paid clients, especially yeah. for big connections. Yeah, because I have people asking me all the time, would you introduce me to so-and-so and so-and-so? Well, unless I really know them, no, I'm not mm -hmm. doing it. I, That's I mean, right. I appreciate it, I, but no, not really. Um, and by you the know, way, that is one of the secrets to retaining those long-term connections and high levels is they oh. know you're not going to abuse it. You built that yeah. trust with them. Well, when, and when you make it or I make it, we're again, we're giving a piece of ourselves. So when I make an introduction to somebody else, a connection and a, at a very high level, they truly believe that I vetted it. I, I don't need them calling me back and saying, what the hell were you thinking when you sent me that guy? And by the you way, know? that's how business gets done, right? Yeah. If somebody yeah. says, look, I trust this person. You, go, you, They're the best in the business. Work with them. Then, then they don't need to be vetted, to your point. So, without question. So what? Uh, so we all have different thresholds and ways to cope with uncertainty around us. How are you using that as a strength for yourself in this kind of, in this new world? How do you use that? Well, people refer to me as being very resilient and they mean it as a compliment. And I think that resilience is a trait that is critical for us to not only survive, but drive and thrive in your terms in these, in these times. Yeah. Uh, the people that know how to, that are confident enough in their ability to navigate any situation and that even if they fall in the trench, they know they can get back up and be stronger than ever. That trait of resilience is one that's critical in our kit bag these days to make it through. So how do, you it as, through what how do you use that? Yeah. So how do you use that as a strength now or, or as a differentiator? Well, um, because I don't, I don't let my, my little boat get tossed in the storm. You know, I stay calm, steady, even keel. And I encourage my clients to do that for their own benefit and to encourage their clients to do that. So it's a ripple effect. It's a state of mind as much as strategies and tactics. It's a mindset. It's a, it's a commitment to, to doing that. 
And I don't mean that in an airy-fairy way. I mean that very practically every day and everything that you do mindfully. Yeah, no, I think you have to have that. I think you got to look in the mirror every day and reinforce that because the person that's responsible for that resiliency is staring at you. Staring that's exactly back at right. You. And again, yeah. it's a ripple effect, Jeff. Just like yeah. you leading the thought council, we follow your lead. You say drive and thrive. We're like, okay, Jeff's calm. He's doing all these PPP, you know, PPE supplies rather. He's doing a whole, you know, all the things you've created since this happened. That's what a leader does. Yeah. And we follow that. And I do the same with my clients. They follow me. Yeah. Well, that's a collective energy that we all get, you know, yeah. if, if, and it usually takes a catalyst, right? You know, a once leader. a fire starts, you can have lots of fires going at the same time, but someone's got to start the fire, right? Somebody's got to be the leader. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing because through our thought council work that we've done together over the last, let's say three months now, we, at first everybody's like, Oh, what do we do? What do we do? And I just said, no, we're going to, we got to do something. So let's go. And, yeah. and we never look back. And once that was done, I don't think there's been a member in our group that looked back. No. And I think uh, again, to follow your lead, it's not just resilience, it's reinvention. You, you, you know, we can't sit still. We can't just sit like deer in headlights waiting for the storm to pass. We don't know when this storm is going to pass. So it's important to reinvent ourselves. There's a lot of speakers like yourself and Stephen Shapiro and others in the NSA in, in our group. You've realized you, this is how you make a living. If you don't learn how to pivot and speak online and, and yeah. master the art of Zoom, you're dead. You lose a huge yeah. part of your business and your revenue stream. So we've yeah. got to pivot, shift, and embrace new things, reinvent ourselves in this climate, or we'll stagnate. You got it. Drive and thrive. Speaking of drive and thrive, let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back and we are live streaming. This is our live cast of All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. And we are watching it right here on Facebook and LinkedIn as we're broadcasting or live casting. And of course, I've got my good friend, Kelly Richards, with me. Kelly is the super connector. She is all over the place in entertainment and the tech world, bringing people together, making money, uh, doing things that you would never thought from Prince to, I don't I, who to name some of the other ones. Come on, name, name Michael, a couple. Michael of Jackson would be another one. Michael um, Jackson. Stuart Copeland of the police. I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, I hate name dropping, but these have all been clients and good friends. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, I know that you, some of these people you, you mentioned in, in our conversations and I have to go look some of them up, not because they're not famous. They're very famous just because I'm not a big music guy. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's not some of the old country Western guys, you know, like, Hey, you know, can I, I grew up listening to Charlie pride, you know, I'm the rocker in the room. Yeah. Do you, is that what you like? Is that the best kind of music? Classic what? rock. Classic rock Classic is my genre. Rock. Really? Yeah. I guess I could see that with you. Yeah. Yeah. So do you go, do you, do you, how many concerts have you gone to in your life? I mean, first of all, I'm a Beatleologist. I'm seriously from the age now, of What's that mean? Do you study or Beatles or the Beatles? I know Beatles everything there is band. to know about the Beatles. When they were do together collect, and since they've been apart. Do you collect the stuff? I do. I did. I collected all their albums, all the books, written about them, everything. Yeah. And I've worked with a couple of them. Only one I've ever met, I came very close to Paul McCartney because he has a house on the south of England there. That's right. And um, I have a relative or a friend and a relative who lives just down the road from him. So yep. I was there 
And then, and then I met Ringo Starr and that was in Omaha. He was playing in Omaha and I was speaking and we were both in the same restaurant and bar together. So that was, yeah, you know, we shared a yeah. scotch. It was he's going to, he's about to turn 80 in a week. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. He actually looked, I mean, he, I, this was only about a six, eight months ago. So he looked great. Yeah. Hey, wow. I wouldn't have put him at 80. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Well, hey, what strategies have you put in order to adapt to whatever our new normal is? What do you What are you doing that was different from before that you're doing now? Even though we're even killed, what What are some of the things that you're doing now that's different? Well, one of the things I'm doing, I'm about to do, is I was early in the podcast game. I went for seven years from 2010 doing a show every week, and I built an archive of about 300. Then I parked it for a while, and I yeah. and I shut down my thought leadership because it had become overwhelming with all the different things I was doing. I'm about to restart it on C-Suite Radio. Oh, uh, I talked wow. to Greg Greenberg recently, yeah. and uh, that'll be something I look forward to doing. Conversations, I haven't just landed on the final title, but it's going to be conversations like the one was before. that are fireside chats with, you know, interesting people in tech, music, and entertainment. I think call it the Super Connector. I was going to call it Connecting uh, uh, Ke- Kelly Kelly connects or connections with Kelly or I don't know what, but That's I may cool. I may hit you up later for the final title, Joe. We'll we'll work on it. We'll work on yeah. it. Well, the key the most important part is you're doing it. Yes, That's, and I'm overhauling most- my website for the first time in six years. I'm integrating the two that I had back into one under my own name, and I'm going to put out my first book in the last six seven years later this year as well. I'm still working through the title and the topic, but I've got something wants to be birthed through me, and now's the time. Well, I think some of the secrets you could tell will be great. Yeah. I'm not sure I'll do that, but thank you for well, that. Some of the stories. You can hide the people's names and tell the stories. I mean, now I may Niall, do that. That's a great yeah, idea. Niall, Niall, uh, Niall's a good friend of mine, yours as well. And of course he 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 uh you know he he told he told some of the real stories, but you know, you you might maybe hold, withhold the names. Withhold yeah, the names. I, I might just do that. But the point <laughs> point is I'm reinvi- uh, reinvigorating my thought leadership side of my business, in addition to continuing to, to have conversations for more client activity. Yeah. Hey, you and I have talked about this um, as we're running out of time, but I want to touch base with it. With everything that's happened, sometimes it's hard to remain really positive in this. And sometimes people get in a funk and we talk, We, you and I have talked about this. How do you get people to snap out of the funk? Well, I, I have to admit, and I'll do it openly. I've been in one myself at times. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing you can do is remind them that they're not alone. You're part of a community. Uh, you know, you're in touch with them. You share ideas for them that, you know, you demonstrate that somebody cares and you, and you reach your hand out to give them a hand up. That's what yeah. you do. You don't let people and suffer you, alone. And you be part of a community. I think that's important to realize that, hey, you know, I think the first step is you got to join something, be a part of something. That's right. right? Yeah, even if it's an online group or it's a, you know, in our case, like a thought council or a group that of other people like yourself to say, ooh, what energy can I absorb? Because the more you get together with people, that more that energy just kind of builds and builds and builds, you know? It's so right. The best thing you've done, you've done a lot of things right since this shutdown, Jeff, but one of my favorite things has been your huddles every Friday when I can join them, I do. And that's just a little shot of invigorating energy from peers to, re, you know, sharing ideas and wins and successes and challenges openly in a trusted, safe environment. That's what yeah, everybody, we'll give, everybody should have something like that. 
Well, we give a little credit. Let's give credit to Gary McGrath. Gary added that to our, you know, our group is very much like a mastermind. Thought councils, you know, it's about 70 of the top thought leaders in the in business today. And we get together on a regular basis. And, and one of the first things we do is we share gratitude. What are we grateful yeah. for? You know, goes to yeah. Gary for that, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's always been that's been a nice kind of like theme for us. We got off on it for a while because, yeah. you know, we got busy. We got in our own little funk as that's a group. Right. And, then, and then all of a sudden yeah. I went, oh, my gosh, why aren't we sharing this anymore? And we did. And we went right back to it. And wow, you can just see the energy level rise. when we Well, and even it. a gratitude journal. I keep a gratitude journal. Just writing oh, five wow. or six things down every day that you're thankful for keeps that momentum going between the community calls. Ooh, that could be my big takeaway from today because I, I, I like that. I don't, I don't, I, when I take the time to do it and I used to do it a lot when I was on the planes, you know, I would take time to write real letters yep. on a plane. And I, I remember I once wrote my wife like a 28 page letter um, on a flight back from Tokyo and, um, and she still oh. has that letter. Tammy deserves every page of that 28 pages. She deserves a lot more than that. Those 28 pages. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a yeah. fact. Uh, without question. Well, Kelly, what a pleasure to be able to connect with you today and have you here as a super connector. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking to Kelly Richards and you've been on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jeff. At the end of every show, I'd like to talk about what I learned and from Kelly. I'll tell you what I learned. Gratitude journal. You know, sometimes you forget the, the, the things that we're grateful for. And she talked about keeping a gratitude journal. I need to do more of that. What if I spend every morning? I mean, that's kind of a mindfulness practice. You get into a mindfulness state of being grateful for certain things. Why, why not write that down? That reinforces it. I think that's a new thing for me. Just every day, take a moment or two and just write down, hey, what am I grateful for? I bet you it sets a whole new tone for my day. I'll guarantee you that. And I need that because there are days and I get pretty grumpy. I bet you do too. Now, we all talk about we get a lot better once we get coffee, but what if we just remembered instead of our coffee, a little gratitude. Anyway, that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Don't forget to tell your friends. That's how we, and we're grateful for that. That's how we get new listeners. Thank you. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.